Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance from This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio, and with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Greetings! This evening, we have a great show for you. Our guest is Victorian steampunk horror adventure novelist and illustrator and a member of the League of Extraordinary Ladies, Elizabeth Watts. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Jean and Susan. <laughs> we finally got you on the air. We've been trying for weeks. Mm. <laughs> uh, you have two really solid books that uh, we were hoping to talk to you about this evening. They are The Dark Victorian Risen and The Dark Victorian Bones. For the listeners, the books are self-published. This is less of a stigma than it used to be. As a matter of fact, about half of our authors are doing that these days. Uh, and the physical versions of the books have illustrated galleries in the back. And Elizabeth has done the illustrations herself. And uh, I, you know, I'd hold them up. You know, to the microphone, but I don't think it would do a lot of good. You're going to have to go check them out yourself. But Elizabeth is quite the illustrator, and they are uh, uh, the qualities of the books are uh, captured in the illustrations uh, very nicely. Um, There's a really good picture of uh, her main characters in Bones um, on her blog, which is uh, a-girlsstudio.com. And there's a splendid portrait of uh, Artifice, all, all dolled up with her badge and her monocle and her walking <laughs> stick, uh, holding up uh, Jim Dastard the Skull and his his natty hat. And there they are. I'd know them in. I'd know them without the uh, this the title. So it works. Oh, thank you very much. How did you begin writing these stories? What was the genesis? Of oh, artifice, the artificial ghost. Um, you know, Jean, I have to say, uh, the Dark Victorian came off of my um, having to take a break from a, a young adult's novel I was working on, my very first novel. It was very large, it was very complicated, and I said, you know, why don't I just switch, write some pulp fiction, 
Um, and at the time, I, I was very interest, interested in Victorian era stuff. And I said, let's, let's do some Victorian, let's do some gas lamp, you know, let's do some mm-hmm. gas lamp, steampunk, something. Um, and I came up with Artifice. I came up with the, uh, uh, I came up with uh, criminals who were resurrected, you know, in a mechanical and, and supernatural London, 1880s London, uh, in order to uh, uh, go after and, uh, you know, uh, fight or do away with uh, other criminals, other supernatural type criminals. And so that's, she was that... a criminal, wasn't she once? <laughs> uh, excuse me? I'm sorry, Susan? I say she was a, she started out as a criminal misartifice. Uh, that's, she? that's, that's the idea. That's the idea that, uh, or the, that's what everyone believes, um, is that uh, artifice, uh, yes, uh, the people who are resurrected, the, uh, happened to be, you know, people executed, hanged. And it's a, like one re- reviewer said, uh, it's, it was sort of like a, um, a re- recycling, you know, re- <laughs> recyc- recycling dead people, efficiency, to, to, and have them go out, give them, give them powers have, and wipe their memories and have them go out and do good. So, so that was the premise. I picked up the whole thing in the second book, Bones, mm, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, it, you've got to... If you're listening to this, you've got to go out and buy these books now. Unless you're under 18. <laughs> well, they there's are that. spicy to use the, spicy. the 19th century idiom. And, uh, huh. of course, this will, this will immediately, my saying that, of course, will immediately make it a cult classic amongst 15 and 16 year olds. So, yeah. Possibly. They, if, they, <laughs> if, they can, if they can find such things in there, I think some, some, uh, some stuff that, you know, the other people write is a little more than I would go, go uh, the direction I would go towards. But yeah, spicy. Not to say I wouldn't go and hang out in the Vesta Club, at least in the in the vestibule, yeah, and the well, bar. But yeah, <laughs> there's, well, there's things in there I wouldn't yeah. hand to our fifteen-year-old. There are, yeah, it, it explores. Um, it would make his head explode. some alternative lifestyles. Certainly. Would it be necrophilia for, for someone to get involved with artifice? I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's a question. <laughs> ah, that I you know they're they're alive. It's a uh, um No, they're not they're not undead. They're not undead. The way I have them is that they are uh, new beings. So I wouldn't say the I mean so that's that's why in, in the first book they they're fighting actual real I mean that's the contrast yeah actual real undead beings things that are reanimated um that's that that's how I want to distinguish them and they have the conversation in the first chapter Jim with uh, Art uh in the cafe and when Art says well what are we and uh and she, and that that was really to contrast right away you know that these are people these are these are well living things. These are new living things, you know, created, um, which who have we would hope would have souls, who have something that that can be developed. So, oh, and and I wouldn't put it past the British government then or now to make yeah. use of such new beings for their own purposes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Some things don't change. Yeah. Well, and it gives it gives uh, it gives your your new characters depth as well because they have a a, a past or a history that they have to discover as yes. they go. And this yes. is this is part of their their character arc. Oh yeah, it's yeah. um the what's wonderful is starting out with beings who have um they well they have a second chance, and I think this is everything we is this something we would all love to have, you know, uh, do life a little bit over, do it a little, do it. Do it almost like like 
if we had the experience now, do it over with that, that understanding. It, it almost feels like they have that because they're fully adult, they're fully uh, aware, they've, uh, they've got some amount of experiences and stuff, so um, they can do Second Life possibly better. And that's the promise. Yeah, that's the that's a promise for us uh, for art, you know, artifice in, in her journey, in her little journey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jim, Jim is still a uh, guiding, you know, be, since he is such a blank slate. He until he gets more information about himself, he's not as curious as she, possibly she is. Uh, mm-hmm. The difference between her her old self and what she what she is now. Well, so. Jim's past has. Past and future must be yes. very interesting because <laughs> yeah. every so often he'll crop up with with a completely anachronistic expression from the early oh, yes. early to mid twentieth century, and yes. no one yes. knows why, and no one really understands what he's saying. And and, yeah. and sometimes he doesn't know why. No, he doesn't know at all, and uh, and that's what I love about about doing Risen. I I wasn't. I wasn't terribly brilliant. <laughs> I wasn't purposefully brilliant, but I was thinking, hey, I, I got most of the answers. I, I stuffed most of the answers in there in that book, and, and as soon as it, whenever the series is is resolved, um, I've got it outlined up to eight books. But let's hope mm-hmm. for maybe six or seven. I don't know. Let's, we'll see. Yes, I got to work it out. Um, when you will see that Risen had all the answers, they just didn't know it. I mean, Madame Chance was there, you know, the medium. She was. Who who looked at them. Uh, yeah, the Chance. Well, no, she was in the first book. Um, and, and pretty much said everything in regards with, to Jim. You're not supposed to be here, is what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, all these things, uh, if they, if, and also that, that he, well, well, there are some things said in there that, um, that, will, that, that tells us what happened in the future, that, that he should be there now. So, I don't know if that made sense. I'm so intrigued now. That is the problem with time travel. It starts to get confusing. (laughs) It's all that wibbly, wobbly... Yeah. I'm not going to use that phrase. Too late. I guess it's too late. The, uh, uh, I'm equally uh, intrigued by the, the richness of the texture uh, of the environment. I mean, the, what well, makes a gas lamp... didn't have to invent the Victorian era. It well, was already there. Well, but her use of it, exactly. <laughs> use of interesting bits of it that maybe, you know, we don't, don't haven't thought about is, oh. is you know, really sets it apart. And you obviously researched the hell out of it. I oh, mean, thanks, this... Especially yeah. the clothes from the skin out. Yeah, um, I, it's fast. Well, I'm obsessive compulsive. I tend to be that with with every project. That's why I needed to uh, step back from the young adults novel. The young adults novel is actually set um, um, in you know seventies, uh, kind of fifties. Oh, with uh, um, it's a it's a city. It's a tourist city with uh, a theme park. And it has um, cafes and you know coffee shops and drive-ins and things like that. It was anyway. So I I got really involved in all that stuff, googie architecture and everything. And I said, you know, I need a real break. So I switched to Victorian. And yeah, Victorian is just all there. Uh, you you could read so much. There's so many scholarly books out there about uh, relationships and things and and how they thought and um, from that very era, right there in that very era is where change happens. With science yeah, and perceptions of other and their people. own tourist traps and goofy architecture. Yes, yeah, and the and the colonization, of course, imperialism and uh, perception uh, like 
the perceptions, you know, discoveries of other people, and and how they and Darwin, Darwinism, and um, there were a lot of um, the rise of Asian food snacks. I think is important. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was England without curry? I ask you. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. you have your sisters and, snacking on on Indian curry from real Indian people, which yeah, is often the best food in London. So. Which is yes, true. That's which true. is not to say they were actually made from real Indians, but <laughs> it's not like sh shepherd's pie is not made with real shepherds either. No, no. some of the some of the scenes uh, from the uh, from the illicit. Uh, the the underground where mm. people go to get uh, um, medical treatments that are not necessarily based in science, yeah, but yeah. in in the dark arts, uh, yeah, reminds me very much of a museum in um, Culver City, California called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Have you ever been uh -huh. there? I haven't, but I, I I picked up books from there. Well, one title at least. I, I probably have some that are still on my want list. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's They're very. Uh, it just it very strongly reminded me of that because yeah. um, in the eighteen uh, eighties, uh, people understood so little of the world around them that everything seemed like magic anyway. Yeah, uh, magnetism was assumed to have spiritual qualities, for example. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was one of the more remarkable, measurable forces in nature. Uh, how much time did you spend in researching the various oddities and strange bits in the London dark arts medical arena, and how much of it were, were things that you put together from from conceptual components? Um, well, I can't, let me think, because uh, I have to say, let's see, Risen uh, was, it took me, I usually, when I get in, like I said, I'm obsessive compulsive, when I, I have a stack of books, I need to go through them and get through them at a certain amount of time, like, say, three months, because I'm a fast reader, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, absorb that and, and take from it, now here's the story and stuff. With Bones, uh, I guess I, I'm pretty sure I took another three months to put everything together, the vivisection. You know, all the stories on vivisection, which was not very nice to read about, but I had to. I mean, I, I get down to it from Halea's Hil uh, writing a, a, a um, penny farthing about uh, to uh, to uh, hackney carriages to, uh, you know, ha handsome cabs. Um, okay, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. yeah the, how much the, of it was research and how much the... of it was invention? Oh, what is invention? Let me think. I... Did you, uh, did you I, taking uh, some of the concepts and sort of apothecaries and, and and curiosity cabinets? I mean, a lot. I this is my thing. I I know. I say I don't read any, hardly any fiction. Mm -hmm. This is I don't know. I don't, now I'm begin. I say this a lot in interviews. Now I'm beginning to think that maybe that's not a a weakness because I know that a lot of fiction is derivative of other fiction. A lot of you know adventure fiction. They read about read other steampunk, then they create even more steampunk from the steampunk. Um, I haven't, I haven't uh, yet read any. So I take everything. I think history, you know, pure history, historical stuff is incredibly interesting. Um, you know, you have um, someone uh, collecting, you know, or particular, you know, collect eccentrics, collecting things. And that's their life. Or yeah, say, we like, wouldn't know anything about that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
We wouldn't know anything about eccentric collections. No. Oh, no, well, yeah, that's, no, they, they exist then as now, and you, you, you kind of trip over them on the internet or find out about their books or, or books about them or about their collections and things and, or their interests, uh, and they, they're amazing. This stuff's really amazing. Uh, I, think, um, I think it was a, a very, very creative time. You have new technologies at that time, so you're creating new things, uh, and, and, it, and it was very artistic. So you could come up with all kinds of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of walking sticks, you know, all sorts of things you never thought of, which is like you see in bones. I did not make up the vertebrae walking stick. That was on eBay. Really? Uh, someone, wow. Yeah, I mean, really? it's in the back. It's actually in the back of the notes of the yeah, bones. Yeah, that stuck in my mind when, when I read the description yeah, of that. I, See that's that was an artifact. I pick up lots of artifacts, uh, so I can't. I mean, if you if you were to say, ask me about specific things, I can tell you what I made up and what I picked up. Mm-hmm. And the vertebrae, the vertebrae one. No, there wasn't a human vertebrae uh, walking stick, but someone made one out of shark vertebrae, and it was it was very morbid and fascinating. Um, and there it was on eBay. I thought, who the heck would make something like this? It's <laughs> it's just these are the kinds of things they did. Um, besides uh, the usual, uh, collect shrunken heads and mm-hmm. collect collect uh, glass eyeballs and and then and the um, the medical Venus. I did not make that stuff up. That's 16th century um, uh, real medical uh, figures, wax figures. They're in Italy. Mm-hmm. You can find a museum full of them. Um, the little tiny one that's in um, Jim's cabinet. I also found, uh, although I was the one who added the the little kittens. <laughs> you know, the little kittens that she births. So the, the, there are a lot of lot of things that I just put together, and uh, and it, it becomes this. It becomes this uh, dark Victorian. Artifice has some memories of who she was before, but not everything. And uh, the the government has given her, has allowed her to keep some of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, one of the few things she was allowed to keep was the fact that she was a Quaker. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. About her being Quaker, yeah, uh, her about, element. Being? Yeah. Um. Well, the well, uh, the re- well, one of the reasons to give her that was to uh, give her morality, um, to to make her such a good person, uh, in a sense that. Uh, like a child, you know, just beginning, and and then things are quite simple as someone like that. It's um, good and evil. There, there isn't yet um, um, uh, uh, what is that called when you when you get experience and then you <laughs> cynicism. Yeah, you know, there's a there isn't cynicism yet or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't anything to 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 yet to discolor her 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 pure, pure view. So that's uh, that's that's one reason. One another reason was to also have her speak archaically, uh-huh. so uh, so that she because uh, it's all these it's all these and that and thighs uh-huh. with the uh, with the the Quaker speech and, and what uh, to to make the Victorians seem modern. Well, that helps you as an author, and uh-huh. uh, the religion, however, uh, that helps her as a character. Yes. Yes. Um, it, it's something to hold on to. I think every everyone needs. If you if you're if you're coming from a, a from nowhere, that's kind of a little bit hard. You give someone a, a basis, a structure, a basis, just very simple structure and basis of good, a good uh, concept of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's something. I think that's a very good foundation that she can rely on. It's faith. 
I've pre basically given the character faith, uh, or else she's lost. I think. Uh, if it, it, when she, thinking it does, about it, it does seem to give her a compass. Yeah, you know, at least yeah. a basic a basic sense of direction. Right. And she, as she goes through bones, she realizes that, uh, you know, maybe maybe the world is a little bit more complicated than she than she thought it was. So there's, mm. some, you know, there's some there's some movement there. There's there, oh yes, she cha She's not just stuck. She does. Oh yes, her, yeah. her view of the world as as things progress, and oh, yes. the the uh, uh, the premise of Bones is that uh, uh, the hunter becomes the hunted. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a one thing. Yes, yeah, uh, they they can't. I think um, uh, creating these are these new beings. You know, these new beings created by Doctor Fall. Uh, are are awfully powerful if you look at them. I mean, this it's always implied or even said throughout Bones that uh, artifice could live for a very, very long time, which could possibly be eternity. <laughs> not not yeah, if uh, she's Jim Dastard's partner. He hasn't had a good track record. No. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's, uh, and so um, they, that's why I have it so that this is such a tough world. I mean, when you talk about the hunter has become, you know, the hunted... This is such a tough world. You can't know everything. Uh, the, uh, even if you're not supernatural, it's a very, very tough world for people in, in, in Victorian era London. So, um, so the so you have these. So it's fortunate, pretty much for the, for the for Victorian London at this moment that they're they're wonderful. These wonderful beings that they're making uh, die so quickly because then they don't have to deal with them. You know, they have to deal with the, them around picking up a pension or something. It's um, it's that, it's it's just something I think that's why the book has to go, the series has to go, uh, an arc of a hundred years. Uh, wow. People don't know that yet. I'm now I've said it. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, here first, folks. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's why Jim's there. Jim I will needed... catch up with his vocabulary. Yeah, he finally, <laughs> and uh, and then he'll realize that then he's archaic. Um. Yeah, I wanted to do to uh, do a hundred years in this alternate reality where we have uh, a steam, you know, these steampunk elements, these the scientific elements that have mm -hmm. already gone ahead, the airships and everything, uh, to see what kind of world is is next. It will be next, and the only ones who'll be able to see it will be Jim and well, see, there I go and said it. <laughs> we'll be the ones who 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 will survive this era. Who will survive this era? Well, so. I think we're all descended from people who just. <laughs> who survived that era one yeah more, one place or another yeah. you know we're we're not that long before jack the ripper um yeah are jack we the ripper gonna was get involved in any of that or uh i know people ask that i actually am doing uh -huh. another the, the third 1988 yeah the third the third book is is See, it's too predictable. I have a beta reader and I have an editor. My beta reader is a is a good guide, compass good. on things. Um, she said that's just too predictable, <laughs> and I wouldn't. And I I have intended to touch the subject, but I I just don't want to. I I'm doing a variation in so a third book. Somebody else. Well, that's not our case. And then go on with something else, I guess. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm going to do something different for we. You can always do a variation on the same theme: a murderer. Mm -hmm. um, Somebody but, came into the Vesta and started uh, murdering their personnel. Suddenly, yeah, it's personal. <laughs> well, yes, it's it, but not like. Well, my idea will be. My idea has to do with disease. 
It's um, that's what the Everlife is going to be. It's a dark Victorian Everlife will be about uh, infection. You know, because uh, that was something mm-hmm. that was that was very big. I mean, they have it was they very had, big and very poorly understood. Yes, it, it, it when it spread, it spread. I mean, you have. Uh, uh, it happened in London. I mean, of course. Uh, what was it in the water? Cholera? Cholera? Yeah, cholera. Yeah, cholera. So they figured that out. That was in the water and so forth. They, they, there was the sewage problem. The, you know, the Thames um, becoming such a problem that it, uh, the, the air, the air was, was quite hard to breathe. That sort of thing. So um, they, they deal with stuff like that, and and that is something I'm going to be bringing to. Um, the third book, plus the idea that someone's running around whacking people. <laughs> so, uh, in a horrible way, uh-huh. in a very horrible way, because this, hor- this is a horror story. Well, the so. Louis Pasteur's work was done only just across the channel in the same time period you're talking yes. about here. Yes. I think that, uh, like, as was said in Bones, when uh, I have one of the, uh, the secondary characters discuss uh, transfusions, I was, I was uh-huh. reading up on it. It seems that, oh, especially in America, you know, because they're, they're far away and stuff, they, there are a lot of people who are still behind. You can have Pasteur doing all his wonderful stuff, and at the same time, people are still uh, doing, doing bloodletting. Because they they've not they haven't heard it's not like here now where you have the internet and you have news you have lots of media to to tell you right away hey there's a cure or here you can do this new diet um, then uh, and also you have to assume did the people read mm-hmm. you know that so and, they didn't and, hear hmm, yeah, I'm sorry and, and then a lot of people didn't you know yeah yeah literacy was was still a rare thing it it was it uh, it so, so, strangely enough in in uh, England. They, I think, because of the literacy problem, they did uh, uh, build. They had a school system set up, so even the poor people got to read. So they got to read a little bit and learn their numbers. That's pretty much it. Uh, they were called ragged schools, mm-hmm. and you send all the poor children to that. So they, so there is. So that's why you can. Do you have a, a huge when the printing, when printing became even more when you had a lot of cheap printing. I don't know when that when that started, but when novels started being made, you know, mass produced and penny dreadfuls and stuff. That's why you have a lot of boys, a lot of poor boys reading penny dreadfuls. I mean, once you learn how your letters and you read on your own, you're you're obviously going to improve, and you're going to be reading penny dreadfuls. You you're you're going to want to know what's going to happen next, and you're you're going to learn your you, you know you're going to learn to read. You're going to learn to read better. So, um, so for England, you know, there was a, there was a bit more literacy, I would say, than other places. So, because of their school system that they set mm-hmm. up. So, well, Artifice is obviously a reader. Yes, yeah, and that's she's very literate. <laughs> yeah, they. That's why. That's why I wanted to sit out in the beginning with uh, with Riz and why why Jim kind of picks on her. And says, "Can you read?" You know, uh, or it's, it's it's to make it makes certain since we don't know anything about her that yes, she's a woman who actually. Can read. I I saw this is kind of who was it? It was Oscar Wilde's wife wrote a note. I saw the note. Uh, it was a, a scan of her note. She wrote a, a kind of a a fan note to Bill Cody or something. Wow, Bill Cody, and it was so childish. <laughs> it was just uh, there's a woman who should who who should be well read, possibly well you know have an education or something like that but it, it kind of shows even if you did send children to school even if you did send your daughters to school and stuff that some some were a, lot, a little bit smarter and some weren't weren't so interested in their letters no you, you know? can say mm-hmm. that now <laughs> yeah oh can you, you do you see it 
it's uh... no. I mean, you could just say that about women now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So I that's just something I, I wanted to bring up. So that's that's another thing. It's, I mean, Art, Artifice could have been one of those kind of ladies, you know, kind of vapid. I wanted to show that she was intelligent. So. You mentioned uh, you mentioned that the next book is going to be called uh, the Dark Victorian Disease. No, no, Dark Victorian Everlife. 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 Ever yeah. And so there's a theme. I'm there's, sorry. I was, it, but but the it's, theme is the theme is, is disease. Communicable and, disease. Um, the what theme is infection. Infection. I, it, but they call it disease because I don't know if the word. I'm going to look it up to the see influence. when the word. In, in influenza, yeah, the, what the when the word uh, infection was commonly used, it's a very modern word, infection, but they did use the word disease. I and, was, uh, the reason I brought it back up was because yeah. um, uh, the Tower of London, you know, that mm -hmm. marching field around the tower, uh, mm -hmm. where they they you know they they use it they use it to march soldiers around and drill them. That mm. used to be filled with water. Oh, it was a moat. Uh -huh. And uh, it was kind of a big mistake because yeah. the uh, the way the tides work in the Thames, uh, the Thames doesn't really move that much. The currents aren't very strong, mm. and the water that was in that uh, went around the Tower of London there was a gate that led out to the Thames, mm -hmm. but that didn't necessarily mean that that water circulated. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, it was such... Yeah, bleh is right. Mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was such a stinky, smelly, disease-written yeah. cesspool, and yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Well, no one's going to want to swim it to get in. Well, yeah. yeah, it wasn't intended to be so noxious that you couldn't swim across it was intended simply to be a water barrier yeah but in the end they had to fill it in because it was such a source of disease and yeah. uh, uh and and carrier of of all sorts all sorts of malodorous uh yeah afflictions and uh and the thames itself was not far behind it Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. it was it was really untended as a waterway and right. uh, they threw everything in it you know, there was no sanitation the way there is now. So the Thames was kind of a nasty thing to have to have yes. to work with. But they, the Tower um, of London was, oh, my God. You know, you didn't yeah. want to go anywhere near the place. Yeah. the um, Which, of course, made it very secure as well. But Yeah. But it was a nasty, smelly place. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you might want to do, uh, you might want to look into that as an aspect. Oh, yeah, I, I'm doing the, yeah, I could, I actually haven't looked at the Tower of London, what was going on at that time with it. Um, uh, I might tackle the sewage system thing. I don't mm -hmm. know. These are, I'm still working on the outline for the yeah, story. I, I, I can't, I don't remember, I was in London in 93. Uh -huh. And I remember that they told me that they filled it in, but I don't remember when they filled it in. Yes, yeah. So, and that might be the critical factor. I think they might have, they might have filled it in around uh, the Victorian era, actually. Right. Well, I'm, I'm looking it so, up. Yeah, we have our producer <laughs> and research assistant, Susan, looking things up. Yeah, I, I haven't heard, actually, when I, uh, in readings, in all the readings I've done, I haven't heard about the Tower of London, so I have no idea what function it was serving at the time. Well, it was it, a treasury, so, for one thing. That's where all oh, the money was minted. Uh, the, oh. the mint was there. Oh. Uh, it was also used as a place to hold uh, political uh, dissidents. Oh, You know, okay. people, anybody against the crown. 
right. 19th century, but it was before before this takes place. Mm, okay. So we filled it in before. Uh, to prevent the festering ditch posing further health problems, it was ordered that the moat should be drained and filled with earth. The, the work began in 1843 and was mostly complete two years later. Oh. So there you are. Yeah. So that's yeah, something that's in living memory, but... Yes, it's something that would have been in, yeah, something that would have been in living memory, but only for, yeah. yeah. So there's that there, little tidbit. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, um, Prince Albert, I think, was the one who, I maybe not just him, but I thought he, he brought some modernization to the Victorian, the Victorian times, um, you know, having the sewage put in, the sewage canals put in and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and other things, I think. Um, I don't know. I have to I have to look this up because he died in 1860. Oh, but in my book, he's not dead. So, so that's the. And he was also he was a modern type man. Mm -hmm. He he liked he liked um, um, you know he liked gad. Well, I shouldn't say gadgets, but he he was he he liked a modern he liked machinery. He mm -hmm. uh, that's that's why he had his uh his exposition. In the Crystal Palace, I forget what that one's called, um, and it, and it, and it, and they exhibited all the great the great achievements around Europe, you know, the great machines, the 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 ones uh, for farming and mm -hmm. for textiles and and stuff like that. So and probably some some war types things too. I don't know. So his I visited his uh, his tomb in Kensington Park. Oh, oh. Uh, when I was there, and I have yeah. to say that. That piece of architecture is possibly the single ugliest example of Victorian <laughs> architecture yeah. they ever built. And yeah. I think it's widely recognized as being hideous. Those oh. who fail to learn from the mistakes of the past yeah. are doomed to, to repeat though. this architectural <gasps> yeah. monstrosity. Uh, oh, my God. Oh. But it was, oh, it and is... And there's the Brighton Pavilion, you know? He was, mm. he was all about that stuff, wasn't he? Yeah, mm -hmm. the Brighton Pavilion is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the ceiling of it is just staggering. Yeah. It's all... I can't it's, imagine how long it must have taken to build that. It's a beautiful period. It's got its it's got its uh its excesses, but I I just love it. Yes, um, when you see all the detailing, the detailing mm -hmm. and things that went, the craftsmanship, the artistry, and time and effort that went into mm -hmm. say making a set of pistols, you know, or uh, any automation, I, automatons. I'm sorry, any automatons, mm -hmm. any anything. Um, and like I, I I have a fondness for walking sticks, uh, any walking sticks, you know. Mm -hmm. so, oh, I don't know. All all this wonderful stuff is very pretty. Well, and I've met you in person, and uh -huh. uh, by Victorian standards, you would have been very tall yourself. <laughs> yeah, you would have been as tall. You would have been as tall over over a, a, a woman at the age as as uh, uh, as artifice would be over us today. Yeah, possibly. She's not six footer, is she? Well, no, she. she I'm only I'm only five four. I think five, I'm four. only yeah I'm only five four. I thought I could swear you were taller. No, it was the hat. <laughs> it was the, it was the riding hat. That's that's the that's what riding hats do. You should wear one. You should wear a top hat. That that'll give you. It's it's that's what they were meant to do was to give you height. You know, ah, those top well, hats. I, yeah. I think the other part of it is the the uh, you know the impression that no. you, that you give one when when someone meets you. She's a Some tall people. Aura. 
some people have <laughs> some people have spirits that exceed the boundaries of their bodies, and oh. I think you're one of those people. Oh, that's that's nice. That's nice of you to say that. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say so, but that's great. <laughs> I, I how can I be self aware of that? I can't look at myself in the mirror and see that. So thank you. <laughs> so, uh, as Susan mentioned, one of the things that uh, was so delightful about the book was the intimate detail with which you described the clothing. Oh, I mean, yeah. Down well, to the last pearl button. Including the men, which... Including the men. I think oh, the thank men, you. The male customers. It made it feel... It, it's, it seems to the casual reader, it might seem like an excess. But I will tell you, mm -hmm. it really it, it establishes the world in such a solid way. Oh, what uh, and, and your your attention to detail is not just limited to the clothing, but uh, the environment and the way things are made and everything yeah. else about it. Um, I well, I, I I'm sure you guys know that I have a movie background. I I worked in animation for years and years, 2D animation, um, and so you get a sense of. Um, and then I become become this novelist because I want to get my stories done. I gotta gotta write long fiction if I want to get my stories done. Um, it, you have your settings, you know, in, in film. You have your settings and things and, and, and atmosphere um, and, and many kinds of elements in it, uh, as many as needed, to give the, the overall impression of what you want to convey. Um, so I love that, which is why I love, I, I love describing big things as mm -hmm. well as I should, you know, like at the cafes when I do Bones and uh, in Bones, the, the Blue Van, the Vanda. The Blue Banner Cafe, the French Cafe near it, the uh, the aquarium that they're in, um, the the great spaces, you know, like the fish market, Billingsgate Market is is a great big arcade arcade space, and you know that there's even more underneath and stuff, mm -hmm. um, and there's even more. There's there's just so much more to explore. Uh, my my beta reader is the one who really pushed me on putting in more clothing aspects because in Risen there were there were hardly any. And uh, and she and she said that that was missing. That was something she 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 thought about after. And I said, uh oh. So that so I went and I had to research, you know, Victorian colors because you know how they they have that language with colors. It's way different from what we use now, which is kind of pretentious and funny and stuff. So I had to go research that, like Montebello yellow, you know, things like that, and uh, bring that. To the, and I had to look at all these uh, all the Met, you know, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, mm -hmm. The, their online in their online uh, archive has all these dresses you could just look at. So I, I looked at all those um, and picked some out and said, "Okay, now here I've clothed the character for this book. You know, I picked out my uh -huh. outfits for this book, and that's how I and I, I went through those and and that's how I um I um you know I, that's how I clothed the the yeah that's how I that's how I wrote art that's how I wrote art was doing that and that was really because uh, my my beta reader pushed me on these things she you know talking about gloves talking about the gloves they wore and the hats they wore and the shoes and everything gotta gotta be well I don't mean to be authentic I'm not a I'm uh -huh. not a um a re, re what do they call it reenactor re yeah reenactor I'm not a reenactor because uh that's that's hard work you know but um but you know just to give just to give it some some te texture it's like you can touch it you can touch it, you can feel it, you can probably see mm -hmm. it. That's that's well, just kind of to stuff. Have, to have that kind of uh, that kind of detail mm -hmm. uh, brings a visceral truth. Yes, yes. A visceral truth to the yeah. to the uh, uh, to the stories. And why corsets are necessary and good, not <laughs> I mean, yeah. This whole 
whole rant about uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean and mm-hmm. the girl complaining about her corset. Well, of course it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's a growing girl of, you know, growing teenage girl. They sent her measurements to from from the Caribbean to England. They oh. had it made up. They had it sent back six months later. Of course it doesn't fit. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my rant. <laughs> Corsets are great. Yeah. Shouldn't be complained. Well, especially corsets with steel plates in them, like artifice wares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which she actually hates- comes in very handy in one of the scenes where uh, uh, she's. Uh, there's one scene in which she's she's pounded within an inch of her life. <laughs> that and, was fun. <laughs> that, and not, yeah. And not, that have had any internal organs left without. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Um, I like. I think her- when heroines, you know, our her- heroes, when our heroes are um, are are suffering as much as we probably suffer in real life, it's kind of fun because uh, then you know they're real. Yeah, well, they're not. So- and it's important, you know, because yeah. y- your hero has to be as vulnerable as you are. Yeah. And and uh, I think it's it was uh, Lois McMaster Bujold who said, you know, find the worst possible thing that could happen to this character and then do it. Oh wow, wow! This have to the, uh, the person writing that would have to be very brave. Jeez, take that leap! Take that leap! Take that leap! Um, I think um, well um. As George had said, it, well, talking about morality and st- I, well, I think, and I, I've had a discussion before with other people and other writers. Um, I'm sorry, that, George. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, was that his name? I forgot. Um, but anyways, in discussing the morality and stuff with other writers, is what you want to take care of the reader. Mm-hmm. I think that 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 becomes down to it, which is what I like to do all the time with my stories. No matter how much the characters suffer, and no matter how much is going on, that you're going, oh dear, how, is she how, is she going to take this where I don't like it? I mean, if I don't like it, I mean, I will think about it. I will think about it in my head. You know, I will think because I, I think it's it's necessary to go as far as you think you can, um, the uncomfortable places, and then I'll say, you know, is this necessary? Because sometimes it can become. Um, Indulgent, you know, becomes um, oh, gratuitous. You know, it could become gratuitous. Uh, it could be something where I'm like, "Hey, I'd like to really mess with you, as you know, you readers. I'd like to kill everybody that you care about." That sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, George R. R. Martin. Hello. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, we'll see. Well, he has something to to prove there, or he has something to mess with you with there. That's I I won't do that. Yeah, I think because I've seen it also happen. You see that happen in TV. Mm-hmm. Um, in some television, was, I I admit it when I write you know, talking about how I only I don't read fiction, but I but I read a lot of nonfiction. Well, I do love the fiction of of uh, serial TV, a genre TV, mm-hmm. um, Farscape, uh, Xena, you know shows like that. And uh, I remember when interestingly you gravitate towards the stuff that the fantasy stuff that's actually well written. Oh well, yeah, I love that. You know, I, and with you know, strong I, women characters, and with strong yeah, women they have characters. strong women. Yeah, they um, the Z, the Zena one. Um, I loved the ending of the series. I thought that was right, but uh, but a lot of people were hurt. <laughs> you they know, didn't want it to end. Period, and they were gonna. I get guess, hurt but they didn't want to end it that way. And I, and so that's something to think about. But I think, you know, that that's doable. You know, that's not that's 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 heroic. Tell, storytelling, 
it's um mm-hmm. i don't think you i i don't know i uh, we'll see there that that was maybe a bad example there's a yeah um i think there are there's times when you go a little too far when people you know storytelling in storytelling we go a little too far where it's not necessary and then we really hurt people mm-hmm. and we didn't mean to and uh, as creators i i think it really is necessary no matter how what you do to kind of take care of people in the end so, so. when you uh, so when you write your books do you uh, uh are you very very mindful of the uh, of the story arc and and i need to be at exactly this point at this point of the this part of the um, yeah, I, well, I would say the outline might look like that. I won't ever stick so, you know, that much to because it, I mean, the, the emotion or the, the, the thing I want to land on, mm-hmm. I don't know what to call that thing, but I, that's something that I want to land on. Uh-huh. That's something, that's something. So I, that, if that's, you're acting, you'd be hitting your marks. <laughs> yes, yeah. That, that I always is there. That's always there. How I get there or what the, how it might appear can change. I'm always open to that when I'm writing. You know, it's as like I'm, the debate between predestination and free will. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're still, if you're a good, you know, yeah. That's uh, that's a pretty good. That's a really good one, um, uh, Gene. That that's a good observation because that's um, yeah. If if you're gonna land on good, you're you already this. You're it's gonna be heck. It's gonna be a wild ride, or it's gonna be a horrible ride. It's gonna be awful. It's gonna be downturns, but you're gonna get there. So that's how I feel. So when you talk about is it strictly, am I strictly going to hit it? Um, the, I, I know what the thing is going to be that I'm going to land on. I just, I'm open to uh, making it better. That's always my thing. You know, is it, and that's my, of course, that's my limitation as well. I can do, I, will I ever recognize better? And sometimes that comes from guidance from other people. That's why I have a beta reader. That's why I have the editor. I mean, I really need the editor, but the, better, the beta reader is very essential to my, to my work. Um, so... Well, Elizabeth, uh, amazing though it may sound, mm. we have already been talking for an hour. Oh, Isn't that wow. remarkable? Yeah, We've thank you. such fun talking with you, mm. and you are such an entertaining speaker. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, well, we've been talking to Elizabeth Watteson, author of The Dark Victorian Risen, The Dark Victorian Bones, and the next book in the series is... The Dark Victorian Everlife. The books are self-published. The physical versions have illustrated galleries in them. I strongly recommend, if you can afford to buy the physical paperback, please do so. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And, Elizabeth, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. Oh. I don't know where the hour went. <laughs> well, you guys have been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. We must uh, meet up and Hang out at the next few conventions. Okay, that'd be cool. And, and you already know some of our friends, um, uh, Drake and McTrowell. Oh, yeah. They, they're awesome. They're wonderful people. You, you know their radio play is on Krypton Radio? Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, we, we, have, we, we talked to them, uh, uh, I guess, about five months ago. We, we did yeah. an article on them, and mm-hmm. uh, they came back to us and said, uh, oh, hey, would you like to have a radio play <laughs> and we said sure if it's anything like what you've written yeah and and then they went away and produced it and That's it was awesome. marvelous it's great yeah and they, they they are so good looking too they, <laughs> they are. are they are they are so good they, they it's like wow what, what and, wonderful and the, and the funny yeah. thing is if if all you've ever seen of them is the the illustrations of them yeah. You see them in real life you recognize them immediately well, that's them. yeah <laughs> yeah that's them oh my god yeah. 
In honor of your work, we have a, uh, a composite device here. It's part brass and part etherical mechanism. Ooh. When you push the button, it will terminate the show. Are you oh. ready? Okay, then. I, I am. I'll do it. Three, two, one. This has been episode 22 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for July 20th, 2013. Our guest this week has been science fiction novelist and illustrator Elizabeth Watasson, author of The Dark Victorian, Risen, and The Dark Victorian, Bones, the first two books in the Dark Victorian series of novels with one more on the way. Look for her books on Amazon.com or at www.a-girlstudio.com. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer, Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, July 21st at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer and legend, Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.